Smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the Unprecedented Podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Welcome back, everybody. Today, you can see on the screen, if you're watching us on Zoom or on YouTube, uh, we've got Paul Begali here today with us. Paul is an American political consultant and a political contributor on CNN. He's perhaps best known as an advisor to President Bill Clinton and was instrumental in getting Clinton elected well, the first time, and I'm guessing probably the second, too. Um, the second was more anticlimactic than the first, obviously. And uh, Paul has a new book he's also going to talk to us today about called You're Fired, The Perfect Guide to Beating Donald Trump. Um, so, Paul, what is the perfect way to beat Donald Trump? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Please tell us. Well, first, guys, thanks for having me back. I, I thank appreciate you, thank it. Thank you for coming back. Love sure. Uh, it's always good to be back. Um the best strategist for this year would be the uh, Jack Palance character in City Slickers, where he plays a crusty old cowboy. And he says to Billy Crystal at the end of the movie, I don't mean to spoil it, but the, he's searching for the meaning of life. And he turns to Billy and tells him the meaning of life. He said, the main thing is always keep the main thing the main thing. Well, with Trump, the main thing is not Trump. It's the voters. People like me, and I'm very candid about this in the book. The whole first chapter is called Mea Culpa. People like me lost sight of that. Right. I was so distracted by Trump's sewer-level character that I didn't make it about voters. I made it about Trump. Democrats, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, they have to make this election about voters. Yes, we should indict Trump, but inf- indict Trump not merely on his sewer-level character, but more importantly on what he has done and failed to do for people. I was so blown away by uh, Michelle Obama at the convention. Yeah, She was yeah. phenomenal. Yep. But I think the larger, the largest impact and the most relatable was Kristen Urquiza, the young woman from Arizona. Oh, uh, her, 60, her 65-year-old dad, otherwise in good health, lost to COVID. And she said that she said he had no pre-existing condition except he trusted Donald Trump. 170,000 families are going through this now, and many, most didn't need to die. They don't need to die. That brings it back. That's not just saying, oh, he insulted John McCain. Or, oh, right. he's in a Twitter war with Chrissy Teigen. Or, oh, he... I'm sorry to go so long, but I'm like... No, no, please. No. This. The, the, one of the great examples. He uses division for diversion. Now, that doesn't excuse his racism, xenophobia, Islamophobia, transphobia, homophobia. But he uses it to distract us from the really crappy job he's doing in, in office. So example, Hurricane Maria is barreling down on Puerto Rico and it's wiping out the, the homes and lives and livelihoods of millions of our fellow Americans. Right. Instead of doing something about it, you know what he did? That's when he attacked Colin Kaepernick for taking a knee during the national anthem. Now, oh, I, I, I need to remember that was the, that was the, uh, the timing. That was the timing. I'd oh. forgotten too until I was doing the research. Right. Yeah. He, again, did he mean it? Does he say and do racist things? There's no question. I mean, John Lewis himself said Donald Trump is a racist. I believe Mr. Lewis. But I also know he uses that racism and the other uh, other diversion, divisions to divert the cameras when he's really screwing up. Right. Uh, Kristen Urquiza knows you can't divert the cameras <clears throat> from a deadly pandemic that he has uh, made worse, much less uh, fought against. So, no, I mean, I think it's a terrific, yeah. I was going to say, I think it's a terrific point. I remember I did some work with um, Friends of Democracy Super PAC, I think back in about 2012 or so. And every time we would look at the numbers, the polling, and what is common sense would come out in these numbers, which is we were talking about campaign finance reform. And if you just went after these guys for how corrupt they were, 
Sure. I mean, you were insulting them and people didn't like them, but you, when you, it was when you brought it back to how that was hurting people's lives because right. they put money, because Trump is golfing, he's not spending it on this. If it's just an attack, sometimes people even get more defensive if it's just an attack on this character. Whereas you're pointing out how he's, his corruption, his incompetence is hurting you economically with the pandemic. I, I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. Let me, Paul, let me, let me ask you something with that in mind. Uh, both you and Cliff talking right now got me thinking of 2016. And I don't know if I agree, but some of the criticism is that we spent so much time focusing on what a bad guy Trump was that it, it, didn't, it didn't build up Hillary enough. Are we, are we risking the same now or is the situation so much different that we have to focus on what a bad president he is because he's been president? I think it's, it, is, it is different. Um, I, in my book, I, I have absolutely no criticism of Hillary or Robbie Booker, campaign chairman, manager, or John Podesta, chairman. Not that they didn't make mistakes, but and not every, just them. I mean, all of us. I, I right. spent a lot of my time going after going after him. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I do think that Democrats need a coherent, positive economic narrative, and I think in the blurry of position papers that Hillary's campaign put out, that was lost. Um, I, I'm. I'm not seeing uh, Joe's got plenty of substance in position papers. Right. But I'm less worried about that with Joe for a couple of reasons. Um, first, he, the Build Back Better plan is quite good. Okay. I thought his speech on race and reconciliation was quite good. He's got some positive stuff. I, I do have recommendations for other things he should be doing. Right. But the 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 whole I if I wish I had, this had come out before I wrote the book, hmm. the whole book can be encapsulated in a piece I saw in the Onion last week. Right. It said. Undecided. Kind of like the whole Trump presidency. It's so Sorry. 2020. Right. It's so right. 2020. This is the perfect yeah. analysis. They, they, what they wrote is undecided voter just wants to learn a little bit more about Donald Trump. <laughs> right? That's preposterous. <laughs> we know all this, but right. we don't know the impact on people's lives. Um, so that, that Cliff is right. And, and this is on me. I, hmm. I advised the pro Hillary super PAC. We had $190 million. We ran great ads. I loved them. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it was insufficiently connected to the outcomes of the lives of a farmer in Wisconsin, a retiree in right. Pennsylvania, an office right. worker in Michigan, right? And that's why I loved Michelle's talk, right. so particularly Kristen. Yeah. Gosh, you know, we've, we're a huge percentage of the population now who knows someone who's had COVID and even knows someone who's been lost. I lost a family member just to, oh, I mean, God, you know, Cliff, I'm sorry. No, I appreciate it. I wasn't, I'm not going for the, you know, sympathy. Uh -huh. I'm just making the point that there's a lot of us out there. Yeah. So, yeah. And so we can't, that's it, why Trump's distractions and diversions are not working anymore. Right. Well, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm going to interrupt, but basically what you're saying is 2016, we were talking about what a bad guy he was and what he might do. Now we, we can say what a bad guy he is, and guess what? That's the reason you can't visit mom. That's the reason That's grandma's it. dead. That's the reason you're unemployed. But it's That's almost it, like, John. and I want to agree with, with Paul, you know, and first of all, I'll say, Paul, I mean, a big thing for you to say on you, but it's on all of us. I think we all, you know, John and I have whatever we went after you know, Trump platforms like we have. Yeah. Right. And, and we <laughs> spent a lot of time, you know, because we find this person to be so just disgusting in so many ways. But that doesn't mean for regular people that don't pay attention to this stuff the way we do. They want right. to know how they, they, they know that's already built in. Right. They know his character. They want to know how is it affecting my life. And we've right. had a couple of very clear examples now with the economy and COVID and a few right. other things, bounties on soldiers when we're talking certainly to veterans. And I think these are these are the kinds of things. How it's affecting them is what we should be talking about. I think that's right. And and 
I think too many of us, I, I'd say I did not fall into this trap because I had family and friends uh, who voted for Trump. But too many Democrats uh, attack and denigrate Trump voters rather than Trump. My view is they fell for a con and they didn't fall for a con because they're dumb. It's because they wanted to. But I think Trump spoke to uh, the alienation that a lot of people felt. Right. He spoke to the anger. He had all the right enemies. One of my friends who, who supports Trump says, like, of course, he's a pig. I, I can't stand the guy. He's just an animal. He's a pig. And I hate right. him. But he has all the right enemies. The libs, the media, the blah, right. blah. And I think we can decouple some, some, just a few. We don't need too many uh, Trump voters away from him right? Uh, while motivating the base. And it's important not to fall into this trap of hating people who voted for Trump. First off, it's a bad way to live your life. <laughs> Second, any of us are prone to fall for a con we want to believe. Right. I worked years ago for Frank Lautenberg passed away now. He was a CEO, founder of automatic data processing, a, a tech pioneer, multi, multi, multi-millionaire CEO, wound up in the Senate. Frank was as good a businessman as this country has produced in the last 50 years. He invested some of his foundation with Bernie Madoff. Oh, wow. And I'm like, Frank, you, you, he's like the most brilliant business. How did you fall for this? You know what he said? Is it because I wanted to? Hmm. I wanted to believe him. Well, that farmer in Pennsylvania who spoke at the convention, he wanted to believe Trump. He wanted to believe that, you know, a simple, stupid, scapegoating wrecking ball would fix right. everything in Washington. Um, there were a lot of people. Uh, a the folks of up is, northeast, you know, three yeah. hours northeast from me, near the Lordstown plant. It's the oh. same, you know, same thing, yeah. right? They, they wanted, and, and you understand why they wanted to believe. Because what was happening wasn't working for them. And right. so... And he's a good con man. Let's face it. He also does a very good con. He does. He does. He conned all the big banks. He conned Deutsche Bank yeah. or however he gets fine. Trump got States, answer. Trump University, this, that. I mean, it's con. Yeah. A lot, there's a lot of people that fall into the Trump the vodka and Trump wine and the man doesn't even drink. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's the drunkest sober person in the world. Thank God he doesn't drink. I would say that's one uh, great oh uh, attribute yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, but, but that's, that's the, the, the point. And, I'm not denying the role that race plays. Yeah, I grew up in Missouri City, Texas. And it was a very racist place at a very racist time. I get that. Um, but it's the fallacy of composition. All the racists are Trump voters. But not all the Trump voters are racists. You know, all giraffes are animals, but not all animals are giraffes. And so when we paint the entire 62 million people who voted for Trump as racist, it's self-defeating. It's also okay. inaccurate. And, and denigrating, and it's no way to run a country. We do have to love and support folks right. who did not vote for Trump. I saw that Joe Biden said that this week. He went out of his way right. to say, I want to be the president, including and especially for people who didn't, right. who don't vote for me. Well, why did, well, let me ask real quickly, but yeah, why sure. is he still at 40%? That's it. That's, I, I, mean, I think it's, it's the things we're talking the, about. It's not just crazy in something in an intellectual sense that annoys us but it's important obviously for the election why are 40 percent of the people allegedly still hanging on to this guy you know i, I do think look and a I lot have of family it is. members i have family members yeah. by the way real quick because i what do they say yep. john what I, do they say i, I mentioned this to david from once and i'm not going to get details because god knows if somebody who knows them sees this but i mentioned yep. how a family member kept trying to sort of justify trump and kept saying but i don't like him i didn't want to right. vote for him but that hillary right. Well, this time, guess what happened? This time was right. that Joe Biden. You know, I've heard there's sexual stuff about him. And I went, you heard? What about right the other guy? And I, I heard he might be a little corrupt. What about the other guy? 
And then I got, well, it's all going to depend who his VP is. And I said, you know what? There is no way you're contingent it on, on the of VP. course you're trying to find they're They're trying to find reasons to vote for well, him because they're afraid to say they like the no. guy. They belong to a certain group, John. I mean, right, we've it? seen this, right? They belong. It's it's and it's they're not certain, crazy. They're not. I don't mean not, this oh, yeah, disrespectfully. On. It's it's a it's tribalism. They're they're you know you've it got is. friends, you've got family, you've yeah. got your neighborhood, your community, and people feel very strongly one way. It's why I think some of those Republican voters against Trump ads are so good because right. you need to show people that others like them who feel the same way who sat there and said, yeah. you know, and you, you asked quickly, Paul, like what did your family members say to, to John? What I can say, the ones I know is the stuff that he says and the stuff that Fox says works. In other words, right. what they end up saying is what you said earlier, which is he has all the right enemies. Well, right. you know, right. I, I know that he's terrible. I know he did this and he messed up that, but you know, the, that liberal media and right. you know, those guys who are lying about him and every, these guys are all crooks, so I'm going to go with the one who's a Republican. Right. I mean, it's, it's like that kind of thing. But does character so. not matter, Paul? Does character no. not matter, though? Is that it? It literally is how it hits you in the wallet, which I, which I appreciate, of course. But, but if you can convince through Fox News that the character, yeah. they can take that issue away by saying all these guys are terrible, which is what they do, then yeah, they've I effectively they done that. Right. All politicians do blah, blah. Right. Right. And so then it becomes a matter of identity. And the right always accuses us of playing identity politics, uh, which, again, I think is preposterous because we have such a diverse party. Right. So we, we, you know, it, it's much harder, but there, what Trump has done is give a really hardcore minority of the country, a sense of belonging, a sense of identity, a sense of empowerment and feed their sense of grievance. Right. Uh, so it becomes just a team sport. I, you know, I spend a ton of time, the majority of my life these days in rural America, and I see more Trump flags. I don't think I've ever seen flags for a politician before. These are folks uh, not of great you know, means right who are showing that. up there 20 bucks. There aren't any an Obama flags. We didn't have right. flags. You're right. I never thought about that. Right. I mean, some people might fly like an Irish flag or a rainbow flag. I, mean, I fly the Texas flag. Yeah. You know, like Virginia. But, but to, that's a really deep sense of identity. That's more yeah. than a bumper sticker or a yard sign. And, and he gives them that. Yeah. And it's, it's, we can't win them all. Look, nobody's going to get 100%. But all we have to do is lose less badly based on a record where he – that wrecking ball has gone right through rural America. It's gone right through Trump voters. Um, by the way, he hadn't laid a glove on, on Beyonce. She's doing great. You know what I mean? I mean, the people right. you want to piss off at Barbara Streisand is still great, you know, in her mansion in Malibu, right? It just, we can like, even look people. it up on – yeah, good. Right. So it's the folks – I actually worked hard uh, on the whole book, on the chapter on rural America. I grew up in a small town, and I sent it off. I wrote the chapter, did a ton of research, and I sent it off to the, the people I know who care most and have done the most for rural Americans who are progressive, Willie Nelson and his wife, Annie. Oh, wow. Willie and Annie have been champions of family farmers, and it's an Austin thing. I know them a little bit. And they loved it. And yeah. Willie is and Annie, they're, they're like to the left of Bernie Sanders. They're so progressive. and yet. Folks in rural America love them, and in part because they love first, right? They listen, they care, right. they advocate, they fight. Um, I do think too many Democrats walked away from rural America, particularly when the opioid crisis swept through. We should have been all over that. We have, and by the way, Trump's made it worse, but we have almost as many people every single year dying of opioids as we lost in the entire Vietnam War in 20 years. 48,000 people last year. 48,000 we lost to opioids alone. 
We lost over 30,000 to gun violence, a huge percentage of them in rural America. Um, the, the notion, this is what I want to do. What are you doing with the USPS I, right now is, is right. an attack on rural America, quite It's frankly. a total lifeline to rural America. Uh, I, I actually, uh, I, I did an event for Al Gross. Dr. Al Gross is the independent candidate running for Senate in Alaska. Well, uh, the he's got a shot there office, from what I see. He's got a real shot. I think he's going to win. And in part because he knows he's like fourth or fifth generation Alaskan. And he knows that the, the post office, the postal system oh, is the yeah. lifeline to rural America. Oh, yeah. So we can make a case <laughs> there. And actually, I really feel like Democrats are doing that now. And, and I, I, I chastise myself more than like the party and the candidates. Um, but, but I think our party is doing a much better job of right. reaching out to, to rural folks. A hell of a lot better than the Republicans are doing reaching out to people in the mm-hmm. cities. Okay, folks, we need to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Paul Bagala. Cliff, what do you got for us? Hey, John, don't you just love getting together with the people you love over the summer? Oh, my God, yes. Of course you do. Well, there's nothing quite like a backyard barbecue talking about the good old days over a hot dog and grandma's potato salad. This summer, you almost had an accent there with grandma's potato salad. It almost came on out of it. Uh, this summer, give everyone something new to talk about when they show up at your barbecue, and you look 10 years younger. Oh, my How's God! How's that going to happen, John? Yeah, no. Um, it will happen. <laughs> and by the way, folks, that's right. I said 10 years younger. You can show everyone your new look using Plexiderm. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, fine, line, and fine lines, and under-eye bags. Works in less than 10 minutes. It's all this stuff I have. Yeah. The results last for hours, and after everyone's finished off the watermelon and fruit salad, they're still there. Plexiderm even works on laugh lines, number 11s, which we now know what they which are. We know what they are, exactly. Um, and crow's feet. Take up to 10 years off your appearance this summer in less than 10 minutes with Plexiderm. If you'd like to do that, guys, you can try a six-application trial pack for just $14.95 with free shipping when you visit tryplexiderm.com or call 800 685 one two nine two, and say the code voices. This order comes with free shipping and a thirty day money back guarantee. Uh, make those wrinkles, lines, and under eye bags disappear with Plexiderm. Visit triplexiderm.com or call eight hundred six eight five one two nine two and say the code voices at checkout. Do we have right. another ad? Uh, we John? do, Cliff. Did you know that a large percentage of the face masks sold on the market today are fraudulent? I'm not sure I knew. There you go. Many of them claim to have levels of filtration they don't meet, or worse, have virtually no filtration at all. See, even the police are coming to get you for having a bad mask. I think I can hear it in the background. Uh, the bad mask virtually police. no yeah, filtrate it's... the mask police. Hey, the, the, the Republicans warned us about the mask police. A very small number of manufacturers have respirator face mask mo- uh, models that are tested in the U.S. by the NPTL and authorized by the FDA. Buying a mask model that has been FDA authorized is the best way to ensure you and your family are getting a true respirator mask. These masks filter to greater than 99, 95% efficiency, excuse me, and can be reworn, making them a perfect choice, as wearing masks is one of the key things we can do to keep ourselves and our neighbors safe. Right now, the NewDealShop.com has FDA-authorized KN95 respirator masks with anti-fake stickers on every single package. These respirator masks are in stock in the U.S. and ship immediately for free for our listeners by adding the code SEXYLIBERAL. You can even get 10% off the clean phone UV sanitizer just for buying these FDA-authorized masks. Go to the NewDealShop.com now and get verified, authenticated, FDA-authorized KN95 masks shipped immediately to your home or business. That's the NewDealShop.com, the NewDealShop.com. 
And now we are Woo! back to Paul Bagala. Yeah. Paul, can I, Cliff, I don't mean to keep jumping in with it. No, no, go. But let me ask you on these lines. Devil's advocate. I'm not going to say I'm worried about this, but devil's advocate. What are do we care that I can't enunciate the two or three policies that Biden is going to do yeah. when? And again, this was this was something in 2016. I didn't like the fact that when people asked me what is Hillary going to do, I was kind of like, well, there's an education plan, and there's like a thousand right. Elizabeth Warren. There's like a thousand others, which I like as a wonk, but I couldn't enunciate a wall and the Muslims. You know what I mean? Right. Well, even a two or three themes right. is even more than the like we need. I, I want that. Well, he's he's bring, you know the bring us back better kind of thing. I get the. I'm an honest guy and this guy's a pig. Okay, but, but but does he need two or three policies that people can say, oh yeah, he's gonna do boom. Or yes. is this a different election? Yes, no, I, I think, and again, I, I love Hillary. I love Senator Warren. They no, and we're not the knocking most... Hillary. I mean, because people get upset. No, we're not going or, to or Elizabeth Warren. Right. I mean, we're Elizabeth not Warren to... had the slogan, yeah. I've got a plan for that. Yeah. Uh, a po- this is like one of my maxims of politics. Mm-hmm. A position paper or a plan absent values and biography that animate right. it yes. is of only very marginal value. Yeah. Um, so what, what Joe has built back better, which I like a lot. Okay. What I'm pushing for though, publicly, obviously I'm doing it on your show uh, and in the book is national service. Oh, that's I, I, I worked for Dick Gephardt in 88 when Joe ran the first time and I used to travel <laughs> with Dick and I was his speechwriter, but I saw Joe Biden give that stump speech a hundred times and he had a phrase in there about how he was motivated to go into public service when he saw the footage of a hatless young man standing on the steps of the Capitol, asking not what your country can do for you. Right. And the way he talked about JFK, his generation's hero and martyred uh, champion, moved him to public service. So Joe's whole life has been about public service. And his son Bo's life was all about public service. Right. Right. I want him to extend that to national service. We have 75,000 people in AmeriCorps. I'm proud that my boss, Bill Clinton, invented I was going to say, that. you guys, that was a big theme in 92, obviously. It was. Because same thing, Clinton, Obama, these people motivated by service. By the way, both Presidents Bush were wonderful on service. So it's a bipartisan thing. But we're in a crisis now where we have 75,000 people in AmeriCorps. We have 45 million Americans between the ages of 20 and 30. And I bet you their unemployment rate's like 40%. They're getting killed by yep. COVID. So why not throw open the doors of national service, throw it open to a million people. Chris Coons, who has Joe's old seat in the Senate, has a bill to open up AmeriCorps from 75,000 to a million. I call that a good start. And it's not just because it's good policy, because Joe's central ethos are two things, I think, service, public service over private gain, and unity and community over uh, separation and division. They're good good to make him put him in opposition to the other guy who's all about Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so I think that, that that is animated by Joe's biography and his values. It also would be a hell of a great policy. It'd be terrific. We could have a COVID core to help folks who are fighting this pandemic. We could have a, a kid's just, core. Just for contact tracing alone. Right. right. Tracing contact and testing. Tracing. Yeah. yeah. Con- contact. Tra- I, I talked uh, uh, talk to a young person in, in her 20s who's doing contact tracing. She's doing it because she loves her fellow Americans, you know, and, and I, I think that if we called on these young people to serve as the father of four 20 somethings and a, and a professor at Georgetown, I know hundreds and hundreds of young people in that generation. I swear to you, they're going to be the greatest generation redux. They are just terrific. I don't understand these boomers pissing all over these young people. They're so much better than my generation. 
And if we call on them the way JFK called upon the boomers, right. they will answer. So anyway, that's what I want Joe to do. You're right. You're right. right you're right. Joe needs but an generation X signature. is the best generation of all. You can admit, right? I, I think so. I think <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding with you. <laughs> no, but he's younger. <laughs> Whatever's after that Z. The Z <laughs> no, I, I'm an Xer. I'm just having yeah. fun with you. It's, yeah. I'm just being an idiot. I don't um, oh like my it. gosh! Isn't Z the, uh, the Parkland kids? Are they Z? I think I don't Definitely even know the labels. But yeah. Anyway, what you're saying? I just think young people in their twenties will save this freaking country. They will save us all. And and that, see, that's better than just, uh, you know, the Green New Deal or something, you know, because it's, it has to be rooted in your values. And you're talking about the life so you've much. lived. And let me ask you this. I really want to ask you this because I'm thinking about the life that Joe's lived and a policy yeah. that could make a big difference right now. So look, you know, we've got kids going back to school. Um, you know, there's some of it's virtual, some of it's not, we're lucky, my wife and I, cause we have our own schedules, our firms and we have, you know, we have the kind of flexibility most people don't have. Do you think sort of because of what Joe went through losing his family and taking care of his kids, um, a universal childcare like policy coming from him because of he could, it would be rooted in his values, his lived experience and what people are now going through who have to make these choices with COVID whose kids may be home. Do you think that's the kind of thing that maybe yes. I'm just throwing it out there. I, yes. I, you know. Yes. The, his, his story and his family's his sister Valerie helped enormously hmm. when his first wife passed. Um, their struggle is our struggle. And that that's, that's a perfect example, Cliff. I, I went back, looked at President Clinton's convention address in, in, in 1992, and I worked on it. We came into that convention. Yeah, Clinton had won, but we were in a weak third place. We were at 24%. Never going into that convention. Time. Yeah. And people, yeah, they thought Clinton was smart, but what they knew about him was he'd gone to these fancy Ivy League and English schools, that he'd been accused of cheating on his wife, he'd be accused of dodging the draft, and he was a baby boomer. They stitched that all together and they thought he was a spoiled rich brat tooling around in his father's Alfa Romeo. Yeah. So we needed to add more stars to the constellation. And that was where the man from hope came from. But it wasn't simply enough to say his father died before he was born. He was raised poor. He had an abusive stepfather who he stood up to and he got scholarships. We had to then add his biography to his agenda. And that's kind of what we've been talking about. This is why Joe's and if you look at that speech, seriously, I commend it. It's, it's a pretty good speech because each policy begins with my grandfather, you know, had an elementary school education. He ran a country store in Hope, Arkansas. But he treated, in segregated South in the 40s, he treated his black customers as white customers equally. He let them both shop in the store. He extended credit to both of them. And he says, you know, I stood behind that counter as a little boy and I looked up to people everybody else looked down on. So he rooted his commitment to racial justice and civil right. rights in his lived experience. Joe can do that with childcare, Cliff. I think it's a great idea. So uh, here's my question for you, Paul. Do you think that um, Donald Trump's um, pardoning of Susan B. Anthony is going to win him the, the women's vote? <laughs> he did that, he did that <laughs> this morning, just so folks know. As I feel yeah. like it makes up for everything he's oh, ever done that's God. negative to women, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, Trump that. once sexually harassed Susan B. Anthony, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Grab him <laughs> by she'd the been around. Yeah. Be, uh, <laughs> oh my God! Does, I mean, does he think women are gonna? Will this work? Will this have? Will this help at all, Paul? No. It's for women, obviously. <laughs> I guess, right? No. And what's the? You know, a uh, hundred and seventy. Or he's pro voting. Is that the idea? He's covering himself on the voting. No, I just think he's a person of impulses, and yeah. he thinks his yeah. voters are stupid. Who's the chick on the coin? Let's partner. Yeah. 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 Or the suburban housewives. 
Well, there's my yep. African-American. Oh, yeah. He thinks yeah, his yeah. voters are stupid. And th- that's the, these stupid, clumsy things like this uh, are going to work. Uh, that's not, I mean, when's the last time you were out somewhere and someone said to you, you know, this COVID thing is, is closed my small business. My wife's out of work. My kid can't go to school. My Nana is locked in a nursing home and can't get right. out. I sure hope the president pardons Susan B. Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> Every like, day. What the hell? Yeah. Actually, you know what? It's, it, it's part of a larger theme. And who was it last night that went off on him during the convention? Was it, it was either during the convention or it was afterwards. I can't remember now. But they went off on him saying how oh, Bernie Sanders, he said all of these executive orders, they're, he, Bernie didn't say bullshit, but Bernie said they're like fluff. They're pretending to do something and they don't do anything. Right. So much of what Trump does is making stuff up. As I'm going either pronouncing, right? I'm going to do this and then he doesn't. Or like the executive orders, I'm going to continue the rent, uh, the eviction moratorium. He right. Did. He did Best it. example ever. Infrastructure week. Right. Oh, actually, that's true. <laughs> yeah. But but this is another Still example coming. where he's, he promises and he says and he's gonna. And that's part of it, too. They're up to, Jared Kushner said last night, they're up to 300 miles on the border wall. No, there's, and Wolf let him get away with this. They're up to three miles on the border wall, actually. Three new miles is what they had last count I saw. And they're now claiming it's almost, mind you, almost finished with 300. Isn't the border like 2,000 miles or something? Oh, it's over 2,000. It's so stupid. Three three miles is almost finished because if you lie about everything, then lie about winning. We're done. We did it. Right. He, I I do think he is self-delusional. And, and I believe that he thinks his voters are stupid. I don't. Yes, I think so. Um, I think he does think that. Yep. And so you just say these things. Keep in mind, one of the reasons, probably the biggest reason he's president, which I missed, is for 14 years, every Thursday he was in our living room in a cardboard set yeah. pretending yeah. to be a, a, a hard-hitting businessman. Yeah. That was all bullshit, too. That was all an act. It was a TV show. It wasn't real. Oh, and you, I, I mean, I think now, he, knowing now what he is, could you yeah. imagine Trump sitting there and very intelligently having the discussion and going, you know, I'm sorry, you're going to have to be fired. He... He'd be like, well, this guy, Miles Taylor, the chief of staff of the Department of Homeland Security, came out yesterday. Right. He was a Trump guy in a Trump administration and was so appalled at how Trump actually conducts himself. And he's been in the Oval Office with Donald Trump. He claims that Donald Trump said to allow Californians who'd lost their homes in a wildfire to suffer and get no aid because their state didn't vote for Donald Trump. Um, He said that Trump, when they approached him with terrorist warnings and other security warnings, did not care. And it's I I think that when reality meets the reality show, Trump just goes back to the reality show. And if I had to do it over again, I wouldn't do it this year. I I would have had ads of him in a cardboard set with the set collapsing around him as his businesses collapsed and then cut to the plumber who he bankrupted because he didn't pay his bills. His casino went under. Right. Right. The blackjack dealer who got his health care canceled because Trump couldn't couldn't manage a casino. If you can't make a profit running a casino, you're not a businessman. Right. They hand you money for nothing. Like right. literally just hand it to you. Oh, in a casino, you mean? Right. And yes. All you, you is, all you have to do is have the machine run and it's geared to win right. for the owner, right? You, yeah. you, you have no light. You basically <laughs> have no windows. People don't know what time it is. You give them booze right. and they give you their money and he found a way to lose that way. It's, it's, it's incredible. But see, this is, again, this is, this is the point. Every... Thing, every time the Democrats talk about Trump, it has to be in context to your life. 
Yeah, well, so like what are the somebody ads, he then, screwed. Then Paul, what are the screwed. ads this time? Then what are the ads this time? You were just saying the ads last time. What What are the perfect ads this time then? I think it begins and ends with COVID. Um, okay. The, the, it, the Christian, uh, Has Okiba. COVID hit enough people yet? I mean, we talked about yes. this at the beginning, but honestly, I have one aunt that had it and God knows, 88 years old, she had a slight fever and got over it. We were all like, and frankly, no, thank God, but it also sent the message to my family that even aunt so-and-so got it and it was nothing, right? Well, it has enough people been touched affected by it? all of us. You know, we, well, economically, we, we've been touched. Yes. Right. So we've had an economic collapse, which he's done nothing about. We've had a public health crisis, a pandemic of disease. I think it begins with that. And so you look and see what he did and failed to do right. to address this. Um, and then you extend it to, to the news of the day, right, which is the Postal Service. His war the post office, instead of only talking about how it's going to affect our right to vote in 78 yeah. days, right, right now, right. 330 thousand uh, seniors who are veterans get their prescription drugs through the mail. Yep. 330,000 American veterans who put on the uniform and put their lives on the line are being denied their meds on time because right. Trump is screwing around with the postal and system. Other seniors, oh. like my mom. My mom is freaking out because she's 90 years old and she's going, okay, what do I do? Because one of her insurance things requires she uses God knows what insurance. Uh, uh, online right. mail thing, right? They make you right. use the mail. They make yeah. you use it. So she's trying to figure out what to do because I've been telling her and she's been hearing two, three-week delays. They don't... Right. She, I've watched her before call and she's like, I've got three pills left. This is before the troubles now. I've got three pills left. You've got to get it sent now. Ma'am, you know, we're backlogged. Blah, blah, blah. This is in normal times. Imagine now. Right. And mind you, you know, th- it took... I even had to think about it a little bit, but you got to think of what medicine people are taking, right? Like right. my statin for my cholesterol, okay. But if you're on antidepressants, you can't miss one dose. If you're on a cancer drug, you can't miss anything. If you're on stuff for your heart, for your blood pressure, you right. miss the dose and your blood pressure goes back to 200. I mean, people can't miss, especially when they're older, you can't miss drugs. Right. And so it's, I think, and by the way, there's still uh, almost 600,000 seniors who still get their social security check through the mail. Like, are you sure? Because I was, I Googled 100%. that. And to, you know what? Because Obama said it too. And I Googled it and I read, oh no, they all come electronically. And I said, okay. Well, statistically they do. This is the thing. 99.1% of social security recipients get their benefits electronically. Okay. But guess what? That 0.9%, almost 1%, is still 591,000. Because I looked it up wow. too. I'm, I have, yeah. I'm proud to say I have 750 citations in this book. I'm right. fanatical about accuracy. 591,000 people are still getting Social Security by mail. 591,000. Of course, Jesus. Barack Obama was right. The, the right wow. has a point, though. They're right when they say, well, hmm. they say everybody. And it's, that's close enough, but not for people's livelihoods, not for their Social Security. Right. There's now, still 591,000. The margin of error is huge. <laughs> yes, right, 600,000 people nearly is a lot of people. Yeah. The N is so high yeah. that, that you're getting 591,000. Who still get their Social Security check through the mail? So making the mail not just about Trump. veterans you, that you said they get well, their three hundred thirty thousand veterans. You start By getting fifteen percent of the whole workforce of the U.S. Postal System are veterans. It right, has right. been a terrific second career for veterans, and Paul? he's screwing them right. over. Why is nobody giving us talking points like this? This is a complaint <laughs> I have had. And now, for folks watching, yeah. this is a little inside baseball, but not really because it's a matter of. You know, how the sausage is made is going to affect whether we win. I have complained for years that, you know, as an influencer, Cliff and I are not 
you know, I, my friends always say we're like B-list celebrities. <laughs> you know, oh, you're, you're on the A-list. You're, A-list. A-list. you're on the I'm A-list. Pl- I'm about D plus, which I'll take. <laughs> yeah, but fine. you know what I mean. I'm saying we we both we have influence in our own ways, all of us. And right. it has always been impossible to get talking points on the issue of the day. For example, I said a couple months ago, I want a one pager constantly updated that gives me the top 10 points of how Trump screwed up. Because everyone says, well, no, he didn't know. And I heard Pelosi went to some rally on March 1st in San Francisco. I want the top 10 points. Keep right. And what you were just talking about right now, detail it for me. Detail, literally, I, I had to Google the Social Security stuff and then got a wrong answer. No one told me 591,000 people on Social Security were getting it by check. Where are those talking points? We right. don't organize on our side sometimes. I, I, it drives me crazy. Well, that look, literally, you know, that's why I wrote help. this book. <laughs> well, there's, there's two parts of every campaign, message and delivery. And many Democratic leaders, many Democratic elites, many Democratic strategists focus on delivery exclusively. What does delivery mean? What do you mean by delivery? Door-to-door, digital, Ah, radio, direct mail, email, phone bank, text. I have been in more effing meetings where all we talked about was the method of delivery. We're going to knock a million doors. Right. I started, I won't say who, but one of the party chairmen, one of the many I've worked with, was talking about this. We're going to knock on a million doors this weekend. And I started screaming. I said, what do we say if they answer the door? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what if Aunt Ethel is home? Like, right. what does my kid say to her? Right. He's like, well, we're, we're going into every county in the state. Shut up. Right. What are you for? What are you against? Right. You have to have good delivery. You really right. do. And I do admire. Uh, I, I used to knock doors. I used, that's how I got into this business. It's like everybody. By the way, when you knock doors, bring a dog biscuit. Very helpful. Oh, that's really cute. Oh, that's a really pocket cute. Bring a pot. You want those dogs to like you, believe that me. That really is good. You know, Very as a smart. dog owner, too, oh. I would love the fact that you suddenly became interested in my dog. I'd be like, oh. Right, right. Because <laughs> if you love my Gus is my dog. If you love Gus, then I love you. Yeah, yeah. But, but I, 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 I started to denigrate. You know why? It's so much easier because delivery is simply mechanistic. It's just how do I organize my, my volunteers, my precinct chairs, my counties, my states. Um, and we have all these wonderful tools. And this is a democratic impulse, right? Is to, is we're going to outwork them. We have the people, they have the money. I, I believe all that, but somebody needs to stand up and say, whoa, what are we for? And I see, I think that was the genius Whose of Barack Obama. Whose job is it? Well, I, right, now it's, it's, I mean, right now it's become Joe's job, like okay. this week. Okay. But before, until then, I mean, I've taken it on. It's just something that's why I write these yeah, books. Okay. Is it, then send is me it, talking points, please. Yes. I'll say, you got the, I, I got to send you the book. No, thank you. Oh, actually, I'm your publicist serious. did. Thank you. But yeah, I but just, that's, oh, good. but you know what I mean? But I'm saying like on a weekly basis when right. uh, issues like the postal stuff, it's obviously exploded. We should, and maybe this is also like my background in staffing people. Immediately right. I go, okay, we need a one pager that spells it right. out. Maybe even two. One deeper one that's a couple pages. Right. One that's like two paragraphs. Three talking points, 10 talking points, right? What are the points? I, if, if I were going on TV today, what are the three talking points I need? I don't have those. And right. by the way, what we also want, of course, I want to share them on Twitter so that you folks watching right. can then share the talking points. But I don't even have them. I will say this has been my mission since I launched this book. Every single day, uh, except the day Trump's brother died when I stood down. But every single day, I've put, posted a, a new reason to fire Trump right. straight out of the book. Um, this is what we like, you know, James Carville and I have been business partners 37 years. I still talk to him every single day. This is all we talk about. Rahm Emanuel. This is right. all we talk about. We talk about the content. 
the message, not the delivery. We've never had a conversation where we're like, oh, I wish we were knocking more doors in, in Kenosha. Someone has to worry about that. It's Ben Wickler, the party chair in Wisconsin, who's terrific. But yeah. we're thinking about what to say. And I, I think that's what um, the party leaders need to be doing. I mean, I, I'm literally, I'm trying to do it. I'm, I no longer advise any politicians or PACs for a living. I do it voluntarily, but I don't do it anymore. Um, I'm out of that business. But so I'm trying really through my role as a commentator, as a writer, as a, a CNN contributor, right. to put this into the, uh, into the atmosphere that right. way. Hey, we need it. That's important. And, you know, and, and what the key points are and who the key groups are we're talking to. Because, right. again, right. not everybody just would know that, that everybody should be appalled by this. But, again, who's being affected? The elderly, well, veterans, talk people in rural areas. The, 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 there's three, to me, really interesting pools of voters. First, there's the rising American electorate. It's a Democratic base. It's people of color, young people, unmarried women, and the religiously unaffiliated seculars. Hmm. Those four groups are now a majority of the country. It's right. amazing. It's like 65% or something. It's a huge majority. Now, they're not always a majority of voters. So this is why, like, the mechanisms of voting, I've spent over a decade as an advisor to the Voter Participation Center. It's a terrific group, registers voters in that rising American electorate, targets young people, people of color, unmarried women, secular right. voters. So, so that's the first. Democrats have to electrify their base or they're not even a party. That's the first first step. It's the most important step. Without that, nothing. The second step, though, is to try to reach some swing voters. The swing voters are now all in the suburbs. The places that used to be the most Republican are now very, very open to voting Democrat. So Democrats have to reach out to them. And then the third is chip away at rural voters, some of Trump's base. Um, Democrats need to do all three. They right. need to do all three. And they have to have a message that unifies all three. You can't simply, this is what Trump does. He goes to one group and he says, you know, oh, I've had the lowest black unemployment in history. He goes to another group and he says, I pardon Susan B. Anthony. He goes right. to another group and says, Trump's, uh, Joe's going to destroy the suburbs. You need a unifying message. You need web issues that stick folks together. And yep. The truth is, if I tell you about a place where uh, jobs are gone and they've been gutted, where uh, crime and domestic violence especially has skyrocketed, where gun deaths and suicide are out of control, where drug deaths are at a crisis level. You have no idea if I'm talking about uh, 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 an impoverished inner city or a rural area, because the pain is the same. The pain is the same. And, and Trump doesn't feel your pain, and I believe Joe does. So you can take that same message, the same message, and take it to the cities, the suburbs, and the rural areas. Um, and that's what I'm looking for is a content that unites us together. Uh, this is the this is the key to uniting a broad, diverse coalition. How about the Democrats had John Kasich, who I looked it up. John had an 88 percent rating for the American Conservative Union hmm. and Bernie Sanders, who had a six. Right. <laughs> Bernie had the lowest rating. I'm surprised he had a six. I was surprised like, it was a six. Guns? Probably. Maybe guns. Living here. Yeah, like I say, yeah. Living Probably here in Ohio. Like. I fought Kasich, you know, on all sorts of things. Yeah. On, uh, you know, he went after choice and, yeah. he went, you know, and these other things. And yet, you know, I, I so, and John, I, I know, agrees with me. We so much disagreed with some folks who are like, why is Kasich speaking? And we're, and we're trying to say, look, you know, yeah. if this is a guy that I disagreed with so often and I fought on so much, but he is building this sort of center right all the way right. to, the, to, the, to the sort of, you know, social democracy left of Bernie Sanders. Right. That's the coalition you want here. 
Right. The same with Susan Molinari. I was sitting there and I was like, remember her? She was a Republican House leader. Even when they kicked her out of leadership for being pro-choice, I mean, she remained a steadfast partisan Republican. She was the entire time that I remember her. She's Elise Stefanik. She's kind of like Elise Stefanik. I see that same with Susan Molinari. That kind of, this woman firebrand kind of conservative... You know, even though she might have had right. some liberal side, well, Stefanik has liberal sides to her too. She no, I think Molinari is mostly right. conservative. She just you know, was pro-choice yeah. and a few other things. And, yeah. and and even once the party yeah. made her pay for that, she still stayed so oh. loyal. So that she's stepped away now. Right. I feel like that's such a, a me, big right. deal. Quick, quick. I, I helped. Yeah. I helped yeah. run the campaign against Christy Todd Whitman uh, when she ran for governor. Ah, I was right. working for Jim Florio. And I still remember was, that ad you got with you an ad with assault rifles, and you almost won that one. That was close. Yeah, but but we lost. Uh, years later, I I got to know her and I met her, and I uh, you know we we spent a ton of money, and it was a hundred percent negative. All we did was bash that poor woman, and she stood up to that assault, and turned out yeah. to be a you know a, a deeply good person, and I think a pretty good right. governor. Uh, and I told her that, and she's like, "Yeah, a lot of good it does me now," but. We have to be able to get past these old grievances. Uh, I, I'm now on the same side as George Conway. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Right. George <laughs> tried gosh. to impeach my boss. Paul, right. Paul. I'm on the same side as Steve Schmidt. I wrote a whole book uh, attacking John Paul, McCain wait, Paul, on the issues. Let me, let me pull you a little more me- meta, meg, mega or meta here. Uh-huh. Tell people why we should be working with these people. Because Cliff and I, we've had a lot of arguments, maybe not arguments, but people have been very upset online, especially about Kasich speaking. Right? right. They want AOC to have more time. They don't think Kasich should be there at all. What's right. the purpose of a convention? A, right. who are you really trying to get? And B, uh, what is the propriety of working with people who's at least ideologically, we'd hate each other. Amanda Carpenter. Right. Ideologically, right. Amanda and I, I don't think we agree on anything. But I she's helped been, edit a, an great. op-ed by Joe Walsh. Right. Oh, that's right. Joe. Wow. I was, busy, a, I was yeah, calling wow. every name in the book five years ago. We both laughed yeah. about that. I mean, he's on. he's with us now. So... Even if I disagree right. with them on issues, if he's going to help bring independent Midwestern men who are more conservative, who've broken away from Trump and are kind of like, let's call it Biden curious, uh, right. then let, let's get that. By, by curious, just shorten it. Exactly. I was thinking that, but uh, go uh, ahead. But what, what, but, well, I see, well, let me put a finer point. But what they're yeah. saying is, but when you reach out to the right like this to use them as talking uh, uh, mouthpieces, you are turning off the left. And you need to convince the Bernie voters to vote too. What's the answer there? There's no evidence that it turns off the left. That there's no okay. evidence that winning disappoints the Democratic base. None. None. The the Joe Biden got more votes than any Democrat in history winning his primary. Right. More than Barack, more than Hillary, more than Bill. He got seventeen million six hundred sixty thousand votes. Right. He dominates this party and he got it on a message of unity and moderation. Period. Mm-hmm. Now the left is busting their tails for a guy who's probably their third or fourth or fifth choice. I think it's so admirable. It's so impressive. Um, and they're doing it, I think, because they're practical and they want progress, not perfection. They're doing it because they hate Trump and they and we can't we can't Bernie said this last night, he means it. He this gave a great speech last night. He was great. And I've been I, hit for yeah. being critical of Bernie before. He was terrific. You don't I don't share his politics, yeah. but I yeah. love Bernie. I've known him since yeah. he came to the Hill. I was a young staffer. He was a young socialist to go and come into the, to the yeah. Congress. Uh, uh, I think the world of him. I think he's really impressive. So it doesn't, as long as we're not campaigning on Kasich's right-wing agenda, 
Right. Exactly. Reagan used to say this. He said, when people endorse me, yes. they endorse my agenda. I don't endorse theirs. Yes. I don't want mm-hmm. Joe to compromise on gay rights or women's rights or gun safety. And he's not. He's right. not. I'm not turning any of that over to Kasich. Right. right. But here's what a convention is for. To take a guy who got 17,660,000 votes and get him to 70 million. That's what he's going to take. It's going to take 70 million votes to defeat Trump. And he's got 17.6. The road from 17 to 70 right. is crowded with moderates, crowded with Trump voters, crowded with uh, suburban swing voters. You have to motivate your base. You do. And at the same time, you have to stitch them together. Uh, and the, and those that. voters, seriously, the ones you're talking about, in the state that you're from and the state that I'm sitting in literally could be the difference. Absolutely. And that's the thing. We, we have a broad, diverse party. But look at what Nancy Pelosi did. She won 41 seats in Trump country. 41. We only needed 23. She won 41. She did it with this formula. First, diversity. More women, more people of color than we've ever had run. The majority of the candidates were women or people of color or both. So diversity matters. By the way, diversity of life experience. Huge numbers of national security and military uh, folks. So diversity matters deeply to this party. I agree with Nancy. But second, moderation. She found candidates who fit the district. So like I write about Sharice David in the book. She is a a Native American lesbian, former professional mixed martial arts fighter. (laughs) She's so cool. I I was so impressed by her. Also a congresswoman from Kansas where they hunt us down with dogs. So (laughs) we we, the, the notion that diversity pulls you left is crazy. Right. So I, had, I, I was going to say they hunt all three of us down like dogs, gay <laughs> and liberal. Right? And, you, and you you pointed that out, Paul. I mean, and look at what the dividends that are you know paid from that, which is Sharice Davids wins. Right? right. We win that that governor's race in Kansas. Right. Who thought that could happen? And now with Barbara Bollier, if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, which I hope Bollier. I, Bully, I was to say, I was going to use, I speak French, but I didn't know if she still went with the font. <laughs> so, I mean, she's only down in that last poll by a point or two. Like the, the Republican marshals only at about 45, 46. I mean, right. it could happen. I did a fundraiser for Barbara last week and um, she's just terrific. She's a former Republican member of the Kansas legislature. Right. Wow. Should we welcome her into the tent? That by moderate God, yes. suburban woman that we want, right. she is that. Right. right, right. So that's what you want. You, you want, uh, uh, and I praise AOC in the book. I think she's a phenom. She's remarkable. She's really gifted. But that which works in the Bronx and Queens is not necessarily going to work in Kansas. Right. And so we have to be diverse in, in all respects. And, and I think that's where Pelosi has led us. That's where Joe is leading. So right. It's much harder. You know, with Trump, if you're not a 100% Trumper, he just hates you. My gosh, he attacked Mia Love, the only African-American woman in Congress from the Republican Party. Right. She's now an ex-Congress member, in part because Trump undermined her. Right. Well, what the hell? What, what Same with Curbelo down in, in Florida. Right, right. right. Carlos Curbelo. So he drives everybody away. There's, uh, I'm a person of faith, as you know, and there's two kinds of churches. Those who seek out converts and those who hunt down heretics. Right. Hey, Joe Biden wants to seek out converts. He wants John Kasich in the party. Good God, I'm in common cause with Bill Crystal. <laughs> Who'd have thought? I know. I know. I know. All of us. Yeah. But look, I'm a Catholic. I used to turn at church, at church and see Newt Gingrich. Yeah. I would see Barbara Comstock. Um, you know, She's I also would one, see yeah. Ethel Kennedy. 
and Terry McAuliffe. My parish is very uh, uh, politically diverse. <laughs> yeah, clearly. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. So, but that's what I want in a church. I never learned anything from a vigorous agreement, right? I want, uh, and I, I, Trump can hunt down heretics all he wants. He's going to have a smaller, purer party with nothing left but, you know, himself and David Duke. Okay, that's fine. We'll unite the rest of the country and put this thing back together. And here's the thing for the left. What they gain is enormous. I tell the story in the book because I live in Virginia now. And again, tell people, tell people the name of the book again. The book, yes. you're so kind. The I mean, book, well, we keep we'll, saying the we'll, book. We'll, I mean, we'll yeah. do it at the end, too. No, we'll it's called, we'll, we'll put it in the description, Wait, but. I should have a copy. Man, I was yeah, just going to say, it ought to be, Room Raider's going to hate you. You want to have it right I know. Before. Did you get an e-copy, John, or did you get the hard copy? <laughs> I've got an e-copy. I don't have a hard copy. I may have to hit Paul up I here for a signed copy. If we had hard copies, they'd be signed, you know. Send me your address, and I'll sign it and send it. Okay, thank you. But in, 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 in your file. I'll even pay for it and send you a check if you'd like. <laughs> no, no. I'm not looking for something it. free. I just want uh, one of my damn liberals. That, that, that college kid that was me that sat there and watched. Oh, what was the name of the documentary uh, with you got The War Room. The War Room. Who sat there back when you had the huge beard and like was like, yeah. I want to be that when I grow up. Uh, it was red. Know. It was red. That's, I don't know what that's happened. That's right. I know. Me, me too <laughs> um, already. Uh, but as I say, you know, like I just want it signed. I'll, I'll pay for it happily. Happily. <laughs> but here's what the left gets by helping moderates, because they did this in Virginia. Ralph Northam was lieutenant governor. He was a moderate to conservative Democrat from a very conservative Republican part of the state. He, Terry McAuliffe uh, helped him, and he served with Terry as Terry's lieutenant governor. Then he ran for governor. Uh, he was challenged from the left by Tom Periello, charismatic, energetic, single-payer health care, very much in with the Bernie folks, had worked for President Obama, and was a congressman from Charlottesville. Right. Great guy. So they have the primary, and Northam the moderate wins. Well, now this becomes like a, a, a defining moment for Tom Periello. You know what he did? He busted his ass. He went I remember he endorsed him that. right away, too. Endorsed like very him. and. Yep. I, I, we saw him in the most godforsaken, tiny little places where no politician ever goes. He campaigned his heart out for Northam. And then the next year, all the liberals campaigned for more moderates to take over the state house. So that now the General Assembly, the Senate, and the governor, for the first time in 25 years, are all Democrats. What did the left get from that? They got Everything. Medicaid expansion. <laughs> Medicaid expansion. So 400,000 Virginians are covered. They got the strongest gun safety laws in the region. They got That's the right. first LGBTQ plus protections written into law in the South, in Virginia. Right. Um, they, they got the strongest pro-choice law written into law. They got expanded voting rights, and, and particularly for felons, but also you got universal absentee voting, in which Ralph Northam, the moderate, has been the most liberal progressive governor in the 400-year history of the Commonwealth of Virginia. That's what the left got. By playing ball with a moderate. They this is again. This, this is the conversation. I. This is this is so emblematic of the, the sort of when I have these arguments, even the good faith ones with some of these folks online. I'm like, do you see what you got in Virginia right. when you get a conservative state and we take it over? Did you see what you got in Colorado? You know, right. similarly, when what you know these states that used to be Republican states, where we get a foothold and when we gain strength, you, you know, you, and we finally get the trifecta. You see right. all of this. I mean, and again. Yeah, go ahead. The progressive change that Northam and the Democrats have brought. By the way, again, Virginia's 400 years old. It goes back to 1619, which we now all know about. Um, in the 400 years, 
the Virginia House of Burgesses, now General Assembly, is the oldest um, uh, representative body in the Western, in the in the non-European world. First time in history we have a, a woman speaker. Hmm. It's First right. time in history we have a woman of color as the majority leader of one of the parties. Charnel Herring, she's wonderful. Eileen Fillercorn is the speaker. These are really strong progressives and history-making women. Uh, so the speaker, it's she's a Jewish to woman too. Isn't she's she? Jewish too, which yeah. is which is again in the old Virginia, you know, of Jefferson Davis. Not something you would have thought would would happen. Right. And Northam is in court to tear down the statue of Robert E. Lee. A hmm. uh, hundred years ago, in the most probably the most beloved Virginian, now I think quite rightly, someone we don't want to revere anymore. Uh, and yep. and and so Governor Northam is tearing down the statue of General Lee. He's in court, but he'll win. Um, this is what why I'm in the business for progressive change. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I know I'm, I'm not a revolutionary. I don't want a revolution. I love Bernie. Right. I don't want a revolution. I want progressive change for my democracy. Well, that's where the you, two of us are okay, on, on these you, questions. Let me devil's advocate you. Go. But what do you mean no. you don't want a revolution a and B why are you against revolution? <laughs> no, I'm saying, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, because we're having one with Trump. It's a sandcastle principle. That which takes a long time to build up can be wiped out in an instant. And what replaces it is usually not better. Right. Uh, I'm an institutionalist. I, I belong to the, the Roman Catholic Church, deeply flawed, the oldest uh, Christian church on earth. I belong to the Democratic Party, deeply flawed, the oldest political party on earth. You know, I've been married to the same woman for 31 years. We met when we were in 19. Don't call her deeply flawed. Just don't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, deeply yeah, flawed. Exactly. <laughs> Very old and deeply flawed. But I, I, everybody's different, okay? Everybody's different. But for me, like, we're in the, we're in the oldest democracy in the world, the United States yep. of America. So I believe in the wisdom of Deuteronomy. I drink from a well I did not dig, right? So people who came before me, some of them terrible, some of them wonderful. They built this democracy and this republic if we can keep it. So that's what I'm for. I don't, uh, if by revolution you mean overthrowing the political system, overthrowing the economic system. Because you don't know what, I mean, I've said this so many times when I have these disagreements and the two things I always point to, you know, are you may want the Mensheviks, but you got the Bolsheviks. Right. You know, you may may want the Girondists, but you got Robespierre and even worse. Revolution, when you overthrow all institutions and culture and everything, you have no clue what lies on the other side. Chaos does. And often what comes right. into power is so much is, is as bad as what was there, if not a hundred times well, worse. That's I mean, what Trump has brought. Trump has brought right. revolution to the Republican Party and a party that I was strongly opposed to, but who produced people like George H.W. Bush. Yes. Now, I don't know if anybody named Bush can vote for Trump. Maybe uh, what's his name down? George P. George P. George P. He will because he wants to be governor of Texas and president. At least he'll pretend. He's on the wrong side of history, by the way. He should be an anti-Trump Republican, like his uh, his uncle George W. Um, But but that's that's I mean, Bush Senior, who I helped defeat, he signed into law the Americans with Disabilities Act. Okay, that was a really important and wonderful thing. That Republican Party is gone. It's gone in the Trump Revolution. We sat down with Democrats and negotiated in 1990 a budget and decided not to march on Baghdad, which turns out was a pretty smart decision. And I mean, I, you know, I was against George H.W. back then, too. But in hindsight, there were at least some very good things he did. You know, I remember when the NRA talked about jackbooted thugs, you know, with the ATF, what did he do? He publicly resigned from the NRA. I mean, think about today. A, a QAnon member becomes a House member, 
you know, or, or nominee in Georgia and you hear nothing, you know, right. almost nothing. I mean, Adam Kinzinger is the only one. Yeah. Kinzinger is the only one I've heard say anything about that. <clears throat> or no, also from your state, Paul, oops, I knocked my, uh, uh, Denver Riggleman. And that's because he's already lost in a primary to, to right. a, a loom too. So he feels like he can speak out now, but I mean, I mean, Paul, let me ask you about this though. And again, <clears throat> I don't know if this is off your topic, a little of expertise, although I think you know a lot about this. What do we, What's next? And what I mean by this is one of the themes Cliff and I always bring up is, God forbid, the next time we get a Trump who actually knows what he's doing. Right. Tom Cotton would be the name. This, this, we have now shown that being a Trumpist works, meaning you can get elected and maybe you can get reelected. But certainly, if you break all the norms and even break all the laws, you will get away with it as long as you've got the backup in Congress. That makes me right. think somebody who's a lot smarter dictator next time says, no, what the fuck? Let's go for it. But put, put somebody who really can turn this country into a disaster. That's right. I, what, I think what that's do we right. Do about, I mean, can we do anything about that? I, I don't know what. Yes. Well, reform the hell out of everything. But go ahead. <laughs> well, it's, it's yeah. two things. It means Joe has to win by a lot. And I know it's unfair. Um, I had this conversation with Robbie Mook, who ran Hillary's campaign. I said that. I said, Joe has to win by a lot. I said, no. Once you cross the end zone, you get six points. You win. Once you cross 270, you get to win. And I said, no. This time he's got to clear the end zone, run out the back, through the tunnel, through the locker room, and get on the bus. Because I want to discredit Trumpism, not just defeat Trump. Uh, So it means Joe has to win big. And I know it's not fair. Michelle Obama said this, basically. She said he's got to win by so big they can't steal it. Right. So that's step one. Then they have to govern with Nancy Pelosi uh, and I think uh, a Democratic majority in the Senate, right. the way the Virginia Democrats govern, deliver on progressive change up and down the line. For me, the first order of business would be Pelosi's HR1, uh, which, which is the For the People Act. It's the most sweeping reform, more sweeping than Watergate, and it restores voting rights. Hmm. It would be the most powerful systemic change you could bring hmm. to democracy. Um, it, it, it is a Can really, I ask you I something really, quickly, Paul? Yeah. I don't mean, to, but this is important along those lines, right? So let's say we have that massive night, right. and we knock out that—I won't use the the word—John uh, Cornyn in your state, and we right. and we win two seats in Georgia, even, and you know all this stuff happens because even if we have the greatest night, we're going to win probably ten or twelve seats if it was like the most miraculous night ever. So we're still short of sixty. You know where I'm going right. with this. And right. so we have all these sweeping reforms because I feel, still feel very strongly that 2010, <laughs> 2014, those elections happened because Mitch McConnell knew that he could just block everything from Obama and blame the Democrats for it. Right. So it's, to me, it's not just about, about politics. It's about policy. It's about changing this country, which is if the filibuster is sitting there and they're just as cynical and I don't see any reason Mitch McConnell, if he doesn't lose, and that would be uh, that second to Trump, I would dance on the streets. Um, I mean, do we get rid of the filibuster? You probably know from everything I've said my position on it, but let, I'll let you give you words. You know, uh, the short answer is yes. And I say this regretfully and reluctantly. I'm a very latecomer to this. And, and my progressive friends have been way ahead of me on this. The reason I used to defend the filibuster is it required some level of bipartisanship. If you didn't have neither party had 60, which is usually the case, neither party has 60. And so it requires you to cut deals with the other side and it induces bipartisan cooperation. And so laws passed by a bipartisan uh, group are tend to be more long lasting and less vulnerable uh, to the, the when the next more party legitimate. Comes in. Yeah, absolutely. 
Now, I no longer believe that because the filibuster ultimately, like so much we're learning about, relied on norms of decent behavior. And what broke my heart on this was the Merrick Garland uh, uh, crisis, where Mitch McConnell unilaterally packed the court. He, he, he packed it, right? We, we, we lost Justice Scalia. And Mitch McConnell, without a vote cast by anybody, decided the Supreme Court for over a year yeah. will only yeah. have eight members. Just by himself, one person. And I looked, and McConnell, back in my day with Clinton, there might have been 10 filibusters in a year. McConnell had over 400. So he's made it the regular order. Long way of saying the Republicans have forfeited their right because they no longer participate in the norm. And yep. so they have to lose their right to filibuster. And I, I, I worry about this. I talked to a former yep. senator, I won't say who, from a very Republican state. And then this guy said, don't do it. Don't do it. I'm against it. They'll, they'll, be, they'll have 52. But the thing is, if they have 52 one day, which they will again, They'll do it anyway. That's the thing. They'll right. screw us anyway. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like they'll, so they, they turned with Merrick Garland and the blue slips recently, right. right? But they'll just the minute it's they need to get rid of it, like right. with Gorsuch. And again, because right. I want to be clear where I'm coming from, I'm not coming from this as from a radical point. I agree with you, Paul. Like I very much when I thought the filibuster was something that brought folks together to have to work together right. 20 years ago, 25 years ago, that was one thing. You know, but now at this point, it's used so cynically, and I think it's literally used as a simple political strategy by McConnell, which is if I can allow a Democratic president to have so few victories right. and so little to talk about and stop economic reform so people are hurting more, then I can say we're the change two years right. later, and they've done that now. They did that twice. And so uh, that's, the, that's my problem is that I think for democracy to actually function better, for our institutions to work better it's no longer something we, we can have. And I, it's right. a shame, but that's... That's right. You know. but, but this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> it's, it's, right. Is that the, the, I, I mean it. It's not just Donald Trump. It is Mitch McConnell. And by the way, he's picked up the torch where Newt Gingrich laid it down. This yep. is a generation-long Republican march to destroy norms of democratic life, little d, uh, yep. of a democracy. Um, and, and here's why. David Frum said this, and he's been really instructive in this time. He's a guy, you know him, but he worked for We've President We've had him Bush on the show a few times, too, and usually the left brilliant, mad at us for it. Brilliant, brilliant guy. He worked for George W. Bush, who, of course, I bitterly opposed. Yeah. Here's what he says. He's got a book called Trumpocracy. Now I'm plugging yep. Frum's book, but it's quite good. He says, when Trump Republicans believe they can no longer win in democracy, they will not turn loose of their belief in Trumpism, they will turn loose of their belief in democracy. Yeah. And we are seeing that every day. Right. And it's not simply Mr. Trump, it's McConnell. And un unless and until we believe that the Republicans will play by the same norms that the Democrats do, yeah. Democrats have to do away with the filibuster. And again, I, I do not say that with any joy. Nope. And I, I, I nope. get it. I get it. But we have to produce positive change. We have to produce progressive right. change. We have to get in. We have to make a real difference in people's lives, not yep. just showbiz, not just theatricality, not just instead of, uh, you know, whatever, you know, right wing uh, knuckleheads Trump brings to the White House. You know, we have, you know, Beyonce or something. Right. I keep picking on her. She's from Houston and I 
future. <laughs> yeah, you do. But no, the point I know, is that because we she's to, my favorite. She, okay, I know right. I'm too old. We have to be the practical favorite. party that says right. we're going to do these. We have things. to be the adults, and then we come into power and we do them, and we can't let you know this. I'll just say, from my experience, I'll never forget, you know, I did a lot of work with Bloomberg on, on gun control. And right. after Newtown, you know, we, we had a majority. You know, we right. had for Barack Obama, and that was going to push the House. There were a lot of, you know, Republicans mm-hmm. still in the suburbs there who were scared and were probably going to break from things we were hearing. But because of Mitch McConnell's filibuster, we don't make that change. And not only do people lose their lives as a result— but our party gets blamed if people say, see, the Democrats can't get anything done. They can't even get something right. done after Newtown. And I just feel like we can't let that cycle keep replaying itself. That's right. The, it, the, the two areas that I think uh, we often overlook because the news of the day with Trump is so outrageous. The two areas when he's long gone and in the dustbin of history, he will still be affecting our lives for the worse through the courts and through climate and the environment. Um, these are two areas where we have to move immediately in a progressive direction to arrest the decades long damage. It'll take a long time to, to repair the rest, but you know, with lifetime appointments, he's putting wholly unqualified ultra right wing men, all men, all white onto lifetime appointments with power over our lives. And then on the environment this week, he's opening up the Arctic national wildlife. My God. In a time of an oil glut. First off, we don't need the oil. Second, yeah. we really, really need the tundra. We really need that yeah. pristine will. Can he fully do that by executive order? I don't know, but I think yes. Okay. Um, but so that's why we have to deliver on change immediately. If, if Biden comes in, if the Democrats take the Senate and positive change on the environment, on uh, uh, civil rights and racial justice, on the economy, on COVID, if that's blocked, by the Tom Cottons and Rand Pauls of the world, Ted Cruz, then we're through. Right, we, it just we empowers got, them to run on change right. in, in 2022. Right, they and are forward. what Lincoln warned us about, people who will destroy the country and then be happy to rule over the ruin, as Lincoln said at Cooper and Union. And that great Cooper Union yeah. speech, yes. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, we've got to be willing to call them out on it if they do it. This is one... I'm a big Obama fan, okay? Yeah. But it was one of the things I didn't like about Obama at the beginning was there, A, I thought he, was, he wasn't as experienced at being president, obviously. Uh, what I, that sounds funny. He, he didn't have enough experience saying. in Washington to be president. Right. So that he wasn't quite, just like Trump, the first couple of years, he was an idiot, but he wasn't as good at being an idiot, right? So you need a couple of years to get it. In, in, but, but the other thing with Obama was he so believed in committee, C-O-M-I-T-Y, a word I use right. a lot, that... For example, he didn't want to destroy the women from Maine when they were being bad on Obamacare right. or whatever, or the stimulus. He didn't want to. My God, the stimulus. You could have destroyed the Republicans on right. that. He, he had an 80% terrifying. approval rating you know, when, after that yeah. election when America – and I, I remember thinking, and I get it, he was Jackie Robinson, and I think there's, there are other complications. At the same time, I sat there and thought to myself, he won Florida and had a higher approval rating there than Mel Martinez. Right. He won Ohio and had a higher approval rating here than Voinovich. Yeah, I mean, he, hell, he won Indiana and could have pressured Dick Luger. You right. know, all these places right. where he had this high approval rating and he could have barnstormed. And Americans you know, were freaking out because of the economic crisis. What, and could what, have said, you're going to go with me right. or I'm going to tell people that well, you're blocking the economic recovery. Here's my, question, and here's my question with this. I don't want to say I'm worried about Biden because I'm not worried about Biden. But Biden brings a lot of that same committee, mm-hmm. um, you know, let's bring people together that Obama has. And will Biden have it in him constitutionally to turn around 
and destroy the Republicans for holding up COVID reform, because you're right, they're going to, Mitch McConnell and the rest of them, if we get the Senate, they're going to become exactly what they are today, using all the tools of the minority to destroy us. And are we yes, going to call them out, or are answer. we going to say, even Trump, for example, are we going to blame Trump for stuff? Or are we going to say, oh, we're going to be nice to the administration before us, because that's what right. Democrats do? I, I am quite sure he will be willing He'll reach out a hand and try to get along. And if they refuse to compromise, he's going to roll them. Here's why. He lived through the Obama period. And I really don't fault President Obama. I think, I think, um, I don't fault him, but he believed that he was still in the Washington, as bad as the Bill Clinton time was, and they impeached my boss. And the notion that that was some kind of halcyon time of bipartisanship is nuts. Right. But we could work with Bob Dole. Right. And I think. President Obama's sort of coming of age in those Clinton days when we were cutting deals every day. And of course, the left hated it, but we got a lot of good stuff done. We got the Children's Health Insurance Program. 20 yep. million kids got health insurance through a Republican Congress. Yep. Pretty Family amazing. medical leave passed. And I remember some right. of that stuff. So yep. We got a lot of progressive change done with a Republican House and a Republican Senate. It, it was tough. Um, and Bill Clinton is very good at that. Obama would have been just as good if he'd had the same kind of Republicans. You know, he interesting. Just, okay, right. that's interesting. That's interesting. They changed, right. and so I, 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 I love President Clinton, and he taught me everything I know about politics. But I, I don't think it was the difference in the president that made the Republicans so recalcitrant. Okay. Okay. At least to be clear, we're big fans of both of them. I'm not right. I'm God, yes. As I said, I work. I go back Obama. and yeah. forth on Obama, on that with Obama because again, I also realize he was the first. And there was going to be a unique kind of pressure and a unique racist types of appeals. And True. if he even seemed mad about something, the right was going to be like, see, he's an angry black man. And I mean, there right. just was, he had, you know, he had this sort of, go ahead, Paul. I, no, I had this epiphany. Um, 2008, I'm walking to the convention site in Denver. Uh, and I happened to be walking with the Reverend Al Sharpton. Hmm. So he says, what do you think? And I said, boy, I really hope Barack, and I don't, really shouldn't call him by his first name, but, you know, I wouldn't get to call him Senator Obama then. I really hope Barack shows the same kind of passion and even anger that we saw from John Edwards about the plight of the poor, especially. And Reverend Sharpton is, of course, really dialed in on poor folks. And he stopped while we were walking. You know, it's a big sea of humanity walking into these conventions. And he stopped and he looked at me and he said, you've never been a black man in America, have you? And I said, yeah. well, no, Rev, you're very perceptive. <laughs> and he said, you John know? Edwards can be, this before Edwards said his problems, John yes. Edwards can be pissed off. He can be angry. He said, but America will never elect an angry black man. He said, take it from me, I ran. Hmm. You know, and, yeah. and it was really instructive. Hmm. It was so obvious to him. But again, you know, you, you, you can't, it's hard to see what you haven't lived. And I haven't That's lived right. that life. And so the Rev taught me that. Hmm. And I remembered that every day that I thought, oh, Obama should be pounding on the table. And right. I, yeah, I yeah, kept yeah. remembering, wait, yep. Clinton would have. Clinton could get away with that. Yep. It's just like now in politics, men can cry. And thank God. Yeah. Right. But, but George W. Bush, especially President Obama. Yeah. Yeah. Right. After Parkland, not, not Parkland, after um, Sandy Hook, the tears streaming yep. down his cheeks. Yep. God forbid Hillary or Nancy cries. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. there are unfair sexist and racist uh, tropes that uh, Hillary in her case and President Obama in his case had to deal with that I was like not even aware of fully yeah. until Sharpton had to tell me the obvious right to my face. And that's probably right. Well, we've had Paul on for an hour and a I know, quarter. For an hour. Do, I mean, what do we want to wrap up with? Paul, maybe, uh, I don't know, I guess tell people a little more about the book then. Like what, is, is, <laughs> no, but I mean. Finish up with the, yeah, well, with thanks. the book. And, 
You know, like what, 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 what is the book then? I mean, is it, is it sort of a laying out a recipe of how to beat this guy or what's the, or just how bad he's been or what is it? Well, it's, it's a compendium of the record. And then at the end of each chapter, because I'm still a political consultant at heart, I just say how Democrats can run on this. Oh, like, interesting. Literally okay. what to say. Hmm. And it's not just for Joe Biden. Um, although I, I hope he reads and follows the book. It's for all of us. What do you say when they answer the door? And they say, well, you know, I'm, I'm really worried about like this COVID thing, or I'm right. really worried uh, about national security, and I want yeah. someone who protect my country. What do you say about the environment when you're in Texas? And they say, oh, he's going to put everybody out of work. Right. You know, it's, it's the idea behind this is to empower everyone to take the fight to Trump and the Republicans, and not on his personal characteristics, but on the, the effect it will have on your life. You know, like that farmer in Pennsylvania who spoke at the convention, who said, I voted for Trump, and I thought he'd be good, and he has destroyed my farm. Wow. That's far more important. Yeah, yeah. Because it's his life and his farm, and, and it's, so it's, it's taking the fight to Trump and to uh, Trumpism on the issues about the way that they affect my life. And I'm trying very hard, the only time I talk about Trump, to make sure it's about the consequences of his presidency in the lives of American people. It was a good that's thing for us all to keep in mind, actually, really, seriously, because that's going to be most effective when we communicate why we need to get rid of this guy. Yep. And so. the, book, the book, again, is You're Fired, The Perfect Guide to Beating Donald Trump. When did you finish the book, just so we know sort of what's, where does it go? And what I mean is, uh, it goes through the got, COVID crisis. You got, you got the, COVID. That was my question. Yeah. The yeah. first, this is the first strategy book. It was written during that, my two projects to keep me sane was sitting in this very room. Uh, and I, I, I grew my college beard back and I wrote a book. Uh, I think the book turned out better than the beard, but Eh, I, I, so I finished it during the COVID lockdown and, um, it was a blessing first off, because it did give me something important to do that kept me sane. Um, it, it, it also, I hope empowers people because I make the case of why COVID has changed everything, the way we live, the way we work, the way we teach, um, everything and how we have to adapt to that. And I think it's the first book about politics written since the COVID crisis. And I hope in that sense, it's useful to the change times. There you go, guys. You should all get it. Yep. Absolutely. I don't think we'd be where we are. Any of the positives we've gotten, Paul's probably the last quarter century been involved in a lot of them. Um, and, you know, that's why he's a famed political consultant and we are lucky <laughs> to have him here. Well, guys, thanks. I love being on this hey. show and I'm happy to come back anytime. Please You and Mary Trump at the same time. That'd be a fun call. She, wow. was, a, she was a lot of fun, actually. Yeah, we had her on. That was she a was really, we, it was fascinating, but like laughing. It was just a very, anyway, I don't know why I brought Mary Trump up. You got me thinking of her. But anyway. Oh, thanks, my guys. gosh. Thanks, Paul. Thanks Appreciate so it. much. Thanks so right. much. Take care, buddy. Good luck with the banks, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you. If you want to remove Paul McCullough, yes. There we go. All right. All right. Well, that was great, guys. Um, God, I just love talking to him. He's so interesting. Yeah. I just he's ever he's brilliant, he's, but he's so he's fun, he's likable. He's yeah. I mean, he's the guy he's who just like he's very positive, which I find interesting. He really yeah. ironically, for somebody who is such a top political consultant, and he and James Carville got Bill Clinton elected. I mean Hillary yep. helped and Bill himself helped, obviously, lots of people. But they were the two top strategists that really put Bill Clinton on the map. Um, yep. it, it, for being in that job and trying uh, – I mean, he, and again, he goes negative. He's happy to go negative on Trump. But he tries to keep a positive 
point of view towards voters and those kind of issues, which I always find fascinating. You know, it's um, well, and also as he was yeah. saying there, it's not just anger for the sake of anger. It's not just going after Trump yeah. for the sake of doing it so we feel better. I mean, it's tough for all of us because there's a reason to hate Donald Trump. Lots of reasons. And it's easy to just look at the latest outrage. And a reason to be just, angry at Trump voters, Cliff. Right, and yeah. right, that's true yeah. too. And, yeah. But but I think keeping it focused on that why Trump is so terrible and how that is hurting your life. It is. That's the key. You always see that that's what yeah. moves people in the end. Yep. Um, so, I, I, you know, whatever. What can you say? Very interesting. I always yeah, yeah. love talking to him. It was great to have him on. Yep. And uh, All right. Um, you know, we've been going over a little an hour. I say we wrap up. It's probably been an hour and 10 minutes. Um, something like that. I mean, yep. if you know, we hit all the crazy issues of the day anyway. But uh, later this week, we've got another guest Thursday morning. At Thursday, we do. Yes. Interview Very good Congress, one. Who so. actually uh, just yep. had a surprise speech at the Democratic Convention last night. Oh, I she didn't even talk there. I, oh, I, I totally missed it. I didn't watch it all, yep. but okay. It's not yep. Michelle Obama. I wish it were. No, I know. Sorry, guys. It's not Michelle God, Obama, if we could get her. We got to find we, somebody. We do have an awesome guest who spoke Michelle at the Obama. convention. And, yeah. yeah, I know. We want to get her. Ava Longoria uh, was really good, too, by the way, as the host. I was I was kind of thinking, like, having a celebrity as the host, she she was she was just really good. I don't know if you should say that. You see what happened when Marco Rubio tried to make fun of her being the host? I saw him weigh in, but what happened? Oh, he, he was, he was um, ratioed in a way actor. that you, he was ratioed in such a beautiful, go look at the thread and what okay, people yeah. had to say to him. He's just such a. Well, uh, he criticized having actors and celebrities at the convention. And we were like, okay, A, Ronald Reagan, B, Donald Trump, C, Clint Eastwood. Well, how about just I, the two guys? You literally, your two guys are a reality show star and a former talk radio host in Mike yeah, Pence. Yeah, That's your yeah. president and vice president. Yeah. What a joke. But again, okay, Ronald, Ronald freaking Reagan. I know. Ronald Reagan was most famous for lying in a bed with a monkey. Oh, well, there you go. Not I thought that was Lindsay. I thought that was Lindsay. I mean, not that I, I mean, not that I know. Look, Ronald may have <laughs> had his own things going on with maybe the monkey, can, you know, was, was all into it. I just know that bedtime with, for Bonzo, he was hanging out, sitting on a bed, chatting with a monkey. There you go. That's all I'm saying. All right, guys. Um, We will talk to you on Thursday then. All right. Yep. Take care, guys. Bye.